Hi, my name is Agile, and I support Gen X Grown Up through Patreon, and I believe you should too. Just go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener, to our back issue edition of our podcast. This is the edition where we take a single character storyline book and dig in deep. With me today, as always, is Jason. Hey, everybody. And we've got our special guest back from last week, Jay Magnum from Pet Piranha Entertainment. Jay, how you doing? Hey, really good. It's great to be here again with you guys this week. We are also happy to let all of our listeners know that we still have our iTunes review contest going on, sponsored by Scout Comics. All you have to do is create a login to iTunes, pop on over there, give us a review, Drawn and Panel Podcast, just do a little search for us, click on our icon, give us a review, one to five stars. We really hope for five stars. And right, we yeah, are five going would to, be the best. <laughs> five would be the best, right? <laughs> and we are going to give you, for each one of those stars, those five stars that we're asking you for, we're going to give you one, two, three, four, five, five number one Scout issue comics because Scout really loves Drawn and Panel. We love Scout, and they were happy to supply us with these books. This yeah. is a great contest because you never know. These books are going to jump up in value. They've got a lot of licensing deals out there right now for Scout where they are optioned for movies and TV shows. These books could jump through the roof at any time. Plus, they're good reads, too. So you may get well, something yeah. that's worth that. <laughs> you get yeah. the added bonus of having a great story, right? You sound a little bit like the Count from the Sesame Street, George. <laughs> One, One comic. One, two, three comic. Oh, four oh, comic. Oh. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> well, today we are here to talk all about some Secret Wars. Marvel Superhero Secret Wars 1985. It was probably one of the first miniseries books that I started collecting when I was a young lad. I fell in love with this book right from the beginning. The covers in it draw you in. The storyline holds you there. Jason, tell us a little bit about the key books and values from Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. The biggest book out of Marvel Superhero Secret Wars would be number eight, which is the appearance of Spider-Man's black costume, which later became Venom. Uh, that book goes for, you know, in pretty good condition between 40 to 60 bucks. If you were to buy a graded copy in the near mint range, that's something that's done by CGC or CBCS. You're looking between about 150 and 200 bucks for number eight. The rest, ungraded, you're looking in maybe the 10 to $15 range. But number eight is by far the key uh, of this series. Yeah, and number eight has got that iconic cover. It's Spider-Man in his brand new black and white mm -hmm. costume, the one that later on we're going to talk about why that's significant as far as Marvel's folklore in the future from that point. But number eight is a great book. There are still a ton of other great books in this 12-issue miniseries. I can't wait to start talking about it, so let's jump right into the show. Order the countdown, Von Schmidt. It has become, Your Majesty. Suffering Sappho, they really mean business. Time for Diane Prince to become Wonder Woman. Don't you know that you're a grown up? Hey there, Drawn and Paneled Podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. 
I'm John, and along with Mo. Hey, everybody. And George. Hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a before we get into the characters and the story, this book wouldn't have happened without the creators. And there are quite a few uh, big names uh, from the 1980s in Marvel that worked on this book. The first one being Jim Shooter, who was also the editor-in-chief at the time for Marvel Studios. Oh, really? Um, oh, oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he uh, he got his start in the 60s writing Legion of Superheroes at a very young age. Um, he did it to support his family and then went on then to, to you know be a writer. And eventually, uh, around the late 70s, he became the editor-in-chief of Marvel and actually did a lot for Marvel to get them uh, from the red into the black. He was responsible for some of the licensing deals, getting the Star Wars comics produced by Marvel – brought in G.I. Joe, um, Transformers into the, you know, Marvel line. And uh, the Secret Wars was definitely, you know, a project of his. And if you ever get a chance at a convention to meet Jim Shooter, he's an imposing looking guy. He's tall, um, serious looking, but very nice man and has a ton of stories from oh, his bet. time yeah. with, with Marvel. <laughs> and he also, after Marvel, he started Valiant um, comic oh, series, uh, okay. uh, publisher. So he has tons and tons of stories and is happy cool. to share stories. So That's Jim awesome. Shooter was the writer. We had mm -hmm. a couple of different artists on the series. One guy who did one through three issues, number one through three and issues number six through 12. Then another gentleman who did issues four and five, the one through three and six through 12, Mike Zek, and then Bobby Layton handled issues four through five. Jason, what's going on? Why did they have two different artists on the series? You know, I tried to look at that, um, try to see you know, a reason for that. The last ish uh, series we talked about infinity or uh, infinite infinity gauntlet. Uh, there was a reason for why uh, uh, George Perez stepped down, but I couldn't yeah, find he was a reason. On his Wonder Woman stuff. Yeah. Yes. I couldn't find a reason why Bob Layton filled in for Mike Zek, but both these guys were great artists in the eighties. Mike Zek did a lot of work with Captain America. He did the first five issues of the Punisher series, I believe the ongoing Punisher series. He also did the famous Spider-Man storyline, Craven's Last Hunt. And Bob Layton did a lot of work on Iron Man during the um, mm, Demon okay. in a Bottle and Armor Wars stories. Okay. So both, a couple of prominent I, figures in the Marvel superhero Secret Wars book. So makes sense as to why they would have those two artists working on this title. Definitely. Certainly. Then we had inker John Beatty. So John Beatty did a lot of inking in um, the 80s for Marvel. He did a lot of work with, if you look at his credits, he and Mike Zek did a lot of work together on various 
Marvel issues. Um, I've met um, all four of these gentlemen at various times, Jim Shooter, Mike Zek, Bob Layton, and John Beatty. At, uh, they still do conventions. Uh, obviously, they sign a lot of Secret Wars books. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do commissions, um, sketches, that sort of thing. All nice guys to meet. Uh, John Beatty actually lives in the Daytona area here in Florida. So, Huh, okay, interesting. Yeah, he does. Uh, both of those guys came up to Collective Con in Jacksonville, I remember, just this past year. Oh, really? So yeah. did you get to meet him there at Collective Con? Yeah, I certainly did. Uh, a couple of really great guys. We, we had a lot of fun, and uh, it, it was it was really a pleasure to to meet them. When you meet them, it's a little bit different than say when myself or Jason meets them. You know, we're meeting them as fans and collectors, things like that. But you are part of the comic creation brotherhood, so to speak. You've got your own book and everything. Is it a little bit different conversation for you having with these people? Like you get to talk to them with industrial terms that you guys understand that maybe us as outsiders don't necessarily fit into that same dialect or is it the same like oh i'm a super fan i love the book when i was a kid please sign you know is it that kind of a conversation what happens for you guys there well i think for me it's a little bit of both uh, i am a super fan so i did have them autograph a couple of things that i had uh, but you know as a creator it's more like i'm asking a lot of questions trying to leverage their experience and then listening a lot <laughs> yeah right <laughs> ask the question and shut up so that you can figure out what experience they want to impart to you did you get a lot of cool information from them at the time when you met them? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of uh, how to collaborate, how to work with people and, uh, you know, how to form teams that work well together. So uh, I really appreciated that, that type of advice. The dictionary tells us it is a terrifying dream, a nightmare. That is what Benjamin J. Grimm enters as he sees Susie murdered by Dr. Doom. Sorry to interrupt, Gen Xers, but this show will be done before you know it. And then what are you going to do? You're going to need something to fill your ear holes with. And we're here to be that uh, ear hole filling thing. We're Blockbuster Nostalgia. We're a movie podcast that's counting down the biggest hit films of the 1980s based on how much money they made. Because that'll show those dirty 80s commies. Each week we have a few drinks. Or a lot. And talk about a different classic film. Which inevitably leads us to rant about things like... Where Luke Skywalker kept his sex robots. What if Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon was in fact a Velociraptor? Who would win in a fight between Rocky Balboa or a Gundam? How the Winter Olympics should definitely feature rabid wolves on skis. We even cast Vin Diesel one time as a talking car in a Smoking a Bennett-style rom-com. And we pitch Paul Blart Part 3, the one where he's a Thundercat. We've been at it for two years now, so we have plenty of vulgar, definitely not for kids, fun for you to enjoy. From Die Hard and Dirty Dancing to Ferris Bueller and Star Wars, we've got your favorite 80s movies covered. Check us out on Facebook, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the parts that I love most about comic books are all the wonderful characters. And we certainly have a grand smorgasbord of characters in the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars. And about half of them wear green and purple. <laughs> yeah, you were. You sure. and I were talking about that before. It's like this weird thing. Like I don't know what Christy Shield was thinking about, or the people who were putting the characters together. I guess they already had those characters as those standard colors. But yeah, a lot of greens and purples in this book. You were right mm -hmm. about that. Well, let's run the list real quick. So bad guys team, there were two teams, the Beyonder, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. He brought together these two teams onto Battle World. Mm -hmm. There was a bad guys team and a good guys team. Bad guys team, Doc Ock, Wrecking mm -hmm. Crew, Enchantress, Titania. Titania, yes. Titania. She was kind of created on the planet. Molecule Man, Volcana, another one that was created on the planet. Absorbing Man, Ultron. 
who we all know from the Avengers films, mm-hmm. Galactus, the giant world leader, Claw, Doctor Doom, and believe it or not, the Lizard kind of rounds out the list of the bad guys. Right. Team. Jason, who do we have on the good guys teams? Oh, so the good guys, we've got Captain America, Iron Man, and this Iron Man was actually James Rhodes, uh, who mm-hmm. later becomes War Machine, but he was filling in as Iron Man during this time period. We've got the Fantastic Four, actually the Fantastic Three, Mr. Fantastic, right. the Human Torch, and the Thing. Magneto, which is an odd... uh, Yeah, it was an odd choice, right? Yeah. The X-Men, which included Professor X, Cyclops, Rogue, Storm, Colossus, and my favorite, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. What about Wolverine? Don't forget Wolverine. Yeah, Wolverine. (laughs) Uh, Thor, Hulk, Spider-Man, Spider-Woman, who was a late addition into the Mm -hmm. um, team, Captain Marvel, and She-Hulk. There were obviously a ton of characters. Normally in the character segment, we try to talk a little bit about each character. But if we did that this time, that would be the entire podcast. All we would do would be talking about the characters because there are just too many of them. So let's highlight and pick out three characters in particular. The first one I'm going to talk about has kind of an interesting B-plot sub-story kind of thing going on that becomes huge in the Marvel Universe later on, and that's Spider-Man. And the subplot is all about the new costume that comes about in issue number eight. That's the one with the iconic cover, red background, black and white costume, very stark, very contrasting. That character and that storyline develops into what everybody now knows as Venom. And it was pretty interesting. He uh, goes to this machine, picks up a tires new costume, and picks up like a a black ball, and it you know makes his new costume. And he's got his web shooters back and everything. It was it was interesting, um, and it, it definitely laid some hints. Reed Richards wanted to analyze it more. Uh, he noticed that when people went to repair their costumes, they didn't use the same machine or it worked differently. So they definitely dropped some threads of that this thing may be something bigger down the road. Jay, what do you remember about Spider-Man out of the Marvel Superhero Secret Wars? Yeah, so I remember uh, the transition between Spider-Man 251 and 252, uh, where he's just kind of coming back from Secret Wars in 252. And, you know, he's got a new costume. And, of course, Secret right. Wars had just kicked off. And we're going, so what's with the costume? And, and you know, mm-hmm. I remember having mm-hmm. to wait several months until Secret Wars 8 came out to find out, you know, what this was and why he had that new costume. So, yeah, yeah the timing uh, of that was kind of weird, right? Yeah, it, it it was really weird, and then happened in a lot of books too. Uh, Fantastic Four and Hulk. I mean, a lot of a lot of impact. Yeah, Fantastic then, Four, like because uh, She Hulk ends up joining them, which we'll right, talk about right. a little bit later. Exactly. You know, and you know, you've got a lot of different twists and changes that happen during Secret Wars. And I was kind of weirded out when I was a young person that they didn't give enough time between the transition periods. Like you said, 251 to 252 with Spider-Man, all of a sudden he's got a new costume, but they hadn't even told that story yet in Secret Wars. So I think they kind of misstepped a little bit there. They probably should have tried to put a couple extra storylines in the books, but I still loved them. So I guess they didn't make too big of a mistake. It may have been calculated. I mean, it, it kept me buying the books, so I guess it uh, achieved Good that point. at least. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, th- I think they did that so everybody would go out and buy Secret Wars to see what happened. Well, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely – and that was something that, you know, 
they could plug because with the little blurbs down at the bottom of the panels where they had a little asterisk, you know, this thing happened in Secret Wars number two. Well, crap. Now I got to go buy Secret Wars number two to find out what they're talking about. Right. So. And Spider-Man kicks a lot of butt in this series as well. I mean, he takes on all the X-Men and. You know, he's he's pretty awesome in it even before he gets his black suit. Another big character in this book, probably one of the most prominent characters, certainly from the bad guys team, was Dr. Doom. Hail Doom. Yeah, he in this book, he goes a completely different tact. Basically, the Beyonder, you know, he brings these two teams together to fight. Whoever mm-hmm. wins gets whatever they want, right? Right. But Dr. Doom says, nope, I want what you have. I want all the power, all the knowledge that the Beyonder has. I want to be the ultimate being of the universe. So he goes off on his own quest, completely separated from his other people. He manipulates his bad guy teams into following his yeah. orders so yes, that he, he can does. get what he wants. Yeah. But man, was that a great character. And that story developed so well from issue number one all the way through to issue number 12. I I really enjoyed that. I wasn't a big Doctor Doom fan before, but I certainly was afterwards. Jay, what about you? Yeah, I think uh, definitely Doctor Doom had one of the most significant character arcs in the series. And I'll tell you, uh, I mean, I bought these things as they came out. And I remember at the end of Secret Wars number 10, that's the one where Doctor Doom takes, he's already got the Beyonder's power, takes off his mask. And I'll tell you, and we don't see it because he's looking away from from the view, mm-hmm. you know, from our view in the panel. But that was a mm-hmm. long month wait because we're all like, "What does he look like? What does he look like?" Yeah. And we're thinking, <laughs> right. Boy, he must look hideous under all that, right? Well, I, I don't know. Can we? I, I don't want to give spoilers, but uh, obviously, it's on the first page of uh, Secret Wars number eleven. You get to see what he looks like, and we were like, "Whoa! Oh my gosh, that's what Doctor yeah. looks like." And yeah. I like that they didn't hide that either, right? They put it right on the cover of number eleven. You didn't even have to open the book to find out what the reveal was. The reveal was right there on the cover. I thought that was very smart of them to do that you know, kind of took that right away and you were like holy like you said because dr doom had never been unmasked at that point sure and, and then you just, have they have the cover of secret wars 12 where dr doom is all powerful and the heroes are all dead right mm-hmm. on the cover and that's uh, another uh, great cover uh, from the series oh, yeah. absolutely that's definitely yeah. one of the iconic ones out of the set for sure and then finally the character who brought us all together to enjoy secret wars the beyonder we never actually see the character in any of the books we never see the beyonder no just some like glowing energy and some kind of cryptic looking voice bubbles uh here and there but yeah we don't we don't ever see him still he is a central focus of this storyline without the beyonder you wouldn't have the secret wars and you wouldn't have all these characters fighting against each other or themselves you know getting together in different ways and combinations that you wouldn't have expected as a marvel fan in 1985 i thought the beyonder character was brilliant i was a little bit worried because mm-hmm. how are you going to defeat a character that is built up in the way that he is at the very beginning of the story? Right. But man, great character development for a character you never actually see in the entire series. Yeah, you never see him. And he still uh, scares Galactus, who is the world devourer. He um, at the very beginning, he kind of uh, gets the best of Doom and Galactus because they both try to get his power at the very beginning. And he's like, nope. And uh, (laughs) so, (laughs) but yeah, you never, you never see him. So yeah, he definitely was an interesting uh, character to have or kind of a catalyst for this series. What what did you think about him, Jay? 
talking about the character, you know, it's sort of godlike. Uh, how is anyone going to defeat this guy? Well, you know, just ask Dr. Doom because right. if there's anyone <laughs> that can figure out how to defeat the Beyonder, it's going to be Dr. Doom. <laughs> sure, right. And, and certainly uh, we never get to see the Beyonder, but and there's a lot of questions about that. And that's really what I think Secret Wars 2 was all about, not to get too far off topic, but uh, Secret mm-hmm. Wars 2 really dealt with that. And No, and that's a, I, that's a great segue because I love how – they recognized that people were still jonesing to learn about the Beyonder. So they said, well, we've got to create another miniseries. And this time they did a little nine issue miniseries that focused more on the Beyonder character, as opposed to all the other people being subject to the Beyonder's whims. And while secret Wars number two was admittedly not nearly as popular as the original 12 issue series that we're talking about today, I still enjoyed it. I still like Secret Wars number two. I'm just a glutton for that kind of thing, I guess. But I know a lot of people were very down on the series, didn't like it at all. But I did. I liked it. So the Beyonder is still one of my favorite characters to this day. All right. So you're George, the Beyonder fanboy now. I am. I guess I'm a Beyonder fanboy. Color me that way, I suppose. But what an awesome character. You know, I can't imagine how you could have done that character better in this 12 issue series. I thought they really knocked that one out of the park. Yeah, I I agree. I was thinking that there would be more of him, but I I think they did a great job with the way it was handled. It caught me by surprise because this was the first time I've read the series. It was pretty cool. A sleek ebony aircraft wings its way eastward over the waters of the Atlantic. The pilot is the world's greatest detective. The craft is the bat plane, and the destination is the heart of darkest Africa. Huckleberry Comics is a publisher working on creating the most innovative and unique graphic novels, one-shots, manga, tabletop games, and even eventually video games. Right now, we're working on getting ready to launch Dream State Radicals, a project which has taken 18 artists over two years to create. It's a gritty sci-fi thriller in the vein of Dusex, Blade Runner, Detroit, and so many more. It's an awesome graphic novel with tons of free concept art, and will be launching on Indiegogo early 2019. Follow us on Twitter, at HuckleberryDSR, like us on Facebook, or check out our website to learn more. Well, guys, as you know, in comics, it's all about the stories. And one of the things that I thought was new and innovative when Secret Wars first came out was the epic nature of the story, which if you look back, it's pretty much woven seamlessly throughout all 12 issues, which is really a, a landmark for the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And like we talked about earlier, DC started their Crisis on Infinite Earth series shortly thereafter, around about the same time. But mm-hmm. I think Marvel was probably first on the scene with the Secret Wars and combining all of these story elements into one epic miniseries. I mean, that's just the stuff of legend right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and definitely something that differentiates Secret Wars from its sequel series, Secret Wars 2, is that you really can't pull out any single issue of Secret Wars and read it as a standalone issue. They're all woven together very seamlessly, where, mm-hmm. you know, in contrast to Secret Wars 2, you can pick up any one of the nine, and, and they're kind of episodic, you know? It's, it's almost sure. self-contained. I mean, they're really not. They're woven, but it, it's much more episodic in Secret Wars 2. So I, I enjoyed the epic nature uh, more of the, uh, the first Secret Wars series. I totally agree, and they get you right at the beginning there's no setup um, necessarily it's these two groups of people are you know wake up and are on a ship and watch this world a battle world be created and end up you know having to fight each other but it just i mean it starts off with the action right away 
Yeah, the whole arrival sequence, right? I mean, we talk a little bit about it in some of the other series that we've covered, how, you know, like in New Teen Titans number one, you've got the mm-hmm. whole Starfire escape from her captors on the alien right. planet. And you're not really sure what's going on with this one. It's evident right away there's going to be an epic battle coming. Number one, you've got the title of the book, Secret Wars. You know something is going to be happening. Then when you turn over that first page and you start to see all the characters there and they do the rundown, the roll call, so to speak, on each team, you know there's going to be some epic battles coming. Then you see that battle war will be creating like you talked about, Jason. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to wonder, okay, who's behind all of this? You know, you get the little weird speech bubbles, you know, destroy your enemies and all you desire shall be yours. Nothing is impossible. And you're like, oh boy, what's going on here? I mean, yeah. there's some some epic moments just in the first like couple of pages of issue number one. And like we talked about earlier, um, you've got the heroes introducing themselves, but then right off the bat, you've got Galactus and Doom are going to you know, try to end this thing right now before there's any fights. Um, but yeah, and and there's not just one epic battle. There's a ton of epic battles in this series. Yeah. Now, Jay, I want to ask you, I noticed something that I didn't pick up on as a young person. Maybe well, I probably did pick up on it, but not as deeply as I do now as an adult. It is very evident from an early point in the book that everybody has their own agenda. It's not just kumbaya let's form a team and go battle the other team kind of a thing everybody kind of has their own thing that they want to do their own belief structures their own motivations as a creator as a writer how did that play to you yeah i mean it was really interesting because you know you had uh, the fantastic four of course getting together and attempting to lead everybody uh, but at the same time you know the x-men kind of had their own click and they're going to go off and do their own thing and of course uh, doom's always for himself and uh you know sure. the can't really agree <laughs> right. there so uh just sort of the the politicking that that goes on and uh certainly you know reading through that series and uh reading through those uh, uh plot arcs and character arcs that uh, gave me a lot of ideas uh, at the time that uh Eventually, you know, I, I got a chance to play out uh, in my own series, uh, Astral Later. So it was very influential for me, I thought. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So we picked a perfect guest to have on for Marvel Superhero <laughs> Secret Wars. <laughs> Certainly. <That's awesome>. Absolutely. <laughs> And I mean, just story-wise, I mean, the impacts, uh, I mean, you had, uh, you know, uh, coming out of this uh, series, and we talked about this a little bit before, you know, uh, going from issue to issue in the uh, in the standalone series, uh, you know, the Fantastic Four swapping out the thing for She-Hulk and uh, yeah. the Hulk, Incredible Hulk's right. injury, and, and you had the spider mm-hmm. suit. So, you know, that whole thing, just the impact, it's very epic in, in, in nature, it really shook up the Marvel Universe at the time. Yeah, and I think that was one of the best things about it. I mean, you see that happening in pop culture today from everything from TV shows having major character dies, professional wrestling organizations swap their wrestlers between shows and everything. Right. Everybody understands that if your product, if you want it to have some longevity, you got to shake things up once in a while. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about Secret Wars was that it shook things up in a way that left consequences in place, but didn't make them so dire as to destroy anything, and yet was still very, very compelling. I mean, this was some really great storytelling. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That it Early on when I was reading this, um, while there is a lot of fighting, 
uh, just the everybody's agenda. The X Men, like Jay said, you know, they kind of do their own thing and they want to defend Magneto, even though he's a horrible person or mutant. Um, you've got uh, Thor and the Enchantress, even though they're on opposite sides, they go have a dialogue about mm-hmm. what's going on because they think they're better than everybody else. Doom manipulating everybody, um, just. All yeah, it's just all kinds of stuff. Plus, you've got your personal stuff like Cyclops yep. just got married. Uh, Reed He's Richards his has bride. a yep. yeah. Reed Richards has a, a baby on the way. Um, yeah, all kinds of just personal human stuff going on, which goes back to kind of the beginning of Marvel with uh, Stan Lee wanted to create. It was all about characters. Yeah, characters and flawed flawed characters. characters. Yes. Mm -hmm. The one word that we haven't used uh, that we're talking about here is no one has said the word crossover yet. And really, this is the ultimate crossover, right? I mean, that's kind of what it was. It is. It's a good point. You know, I don't think of it as a crossover, though. I know it is a crossover. It's the actual definition of a crossover. But for some reason, I didn't think about it being a crossover because maybe crossover wasn't even a term at the time when I first read the story. Yeah. And so that's why it hasn't registered would be since but it probably wasn't i think that it was more about instead of a crossover it was more about a combined storytelling event would be a better description because a crossover to me nowadays it's just like oh um arrow is going to be on the flash this week and supergirl is going to be on arrow and so on and so forth and they you know it's very contrived a lot of times how they get one character onto the other character's platform but in this case the story was what really drove everybody together in a perfectly fluid way. Now you mentioned earlier, Jason, that you had a couple of interesting characters talking to each other off on their own. You had Thor and Enchantress. And that brings up the topic that I wanted to kind of bring forward the odd bedfellows kind of topic. Yes. In this story, there were a lot of different characters that joined up in weird ways. You had the Thorin Enchantress, which we mentioned. There's mm-hmm. also kind of a love triangle thing that happens between an alien on the battle planet, Johnny Storm and Colossus of all people. Yes. You've got Molecule Man and Volcana kind of mm-hmm. having a weird thing together. Right. Uh, and even some of the more common ones, you've got Professor X and Magneto. Right. Doing some, you know, joining forces kind of stuff. Dr. Doom and Captain America even have a point where they get together and like have a little rap session on the psychiatrist's couch, so to speak. I mean, there's some weird stuff that goes on in this character wise. Right. Even uh, Reed Richards and Galactus um, have a little bit of a connection. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got you've got that kind of weird scene in Magneto's palace with Magneto and the Wasp. Uh, you've got oh yeah right. You, you've got the lizard kind of starting to have some affections for the Wasp. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of different like uh, you know kind of crossovers or you know interactions between people from the opposite sides of the aisle that I think goes to what we're saying that this was a compelling uh, story. Jay, is that something that felt odd to you? 
Not really. I mean, I, I kind of enjoyed the different communication channels. And I was just going to mention, uh, don't forget about Ultron. I mean, oh, yes. uh, the first issue, Ultron gets zapped by Galactus or something. But then, you know, right. many issues later, Dr. Doom revives him and he's sort of his minion now, which I thought was really cool. So no, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, a lot of different, mix, you know, mix it up, uh, a lot of different characters interacting. And uh, you get to see some sides of those characters that you don't really get to see in their main titles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And some things kind of felt a little bit contrived like for instance both the human torch and colossus falling completely in love in different ways with this alien healer woman that they met it felt a little bit like okay what's this about why are we pushing this so fast i i some of the storylines i didn't get other ones felt completely natural the whole professor x and magneto thing you know that's been something that's been built up for a long time and we've seen it of course in the modern iterations of the films how you know they have had this kinship from the very beginning i really like those storylines but the one that really caught me off guard that i completely forgotten about was captain america and dr doom sitting there talking near the end of the series book 10 or 11 i think it was and they're just sitting there you know telling their stories to each other and i'm like how are these two guys having that kind of an interaction yeah it's like old friends right they're talking like old friends right yeah i guess old enemies make old friends sometimes you share the battlefield (laughs) with somebody you have a respect for them possibly that kind of a thing they're both very um I don't know how to describe it. Captain America, we all know he is a respectful, you know, person. Uh, but Doom also, I mean, we think of him as the evil mastermind, but Doom has a, you know, he's got kind of his rule base and shows respect. So he probably has some sort of respect for Captain America. So um, I, I did think it was, you know, I've never seen them interact that much before in my comic reading, but I enjoyed it. But uh, they're both kind of, you know, elegant sort of characters or um, they, they seem to have respect for, you know, their enemies and their allies. So I, I thought it was a nice touch to have them at the uh, toward the end have that exchange. Now, that kind of leads us into what may be the more prevalent storyline of the series outside of the fact that there's two factions battling for supremacy to, Mm -hmm. you know, in this secret wars. It leads us into the Doom quest for power. Doom has decided that to heck with this war, I'm not just going to play things according to the Beyonders whims. I want the Beyonders knowledge. I want the Beyonders power. I want to be a rival to the gods. I'm the only one qualified to do so. I'm the smartest, best human ever invented. You know, of course, he's got that huge complex and everything, but he weaves his story Throughout the whole series, he manipulates the characters to get exactly what he needs. Mm -hmm. It doesn't go right the first time, but he does eventually get there. Doom's quest for power is probably one of the most captivating storylines in the series. Would you guys agree or disagree? Totally agree. Yeah, I agree. And and I think it comes from Doom's roots in Fantastic Four. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, the Doom character in the earlier issues of Fantastic Four, I mean, isn't this what he's been looking for all his life, right? I mean, that's what he's looking for. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's so funny that, you know, by the time he finally achieves it, he's kind of sitting around like, now what? You know, what happens when you get the brass ring? Now what do I do? (laughs) (laughs) What's the next step? (laughs) There isn't one. (laughs) Right. I've got it. What now? (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, he tries through this whole series to get past power and he you know fails at certain times you know he tries to defeat galactus tries to defeat uh the 
Beyonder. He doesn't succeed at that. He sneaks onto Galactus's home world that was created. He gets kicked out of that. Uh, but he's a very uh, resilient character. And I believe the whole time that he was going to eventually succeed in what he was doing. I don't know if y'all thought that he was ever going to, well, y'all have read it before, so you knew what happened, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah, no, yeah. it was, and you know, the covers alone, especially the last few, like nine, 10, 11, those mm-hmm. areas, 12 as well. They right. focus more on Dr. Doom than they do the rest of the characters. You can see like, there's the one where he's all battered and broken after getting kicked off Galactica's homeworld ship. And mm-hmm. then there's later on, there's the one like you talked about Jay with the face reveal, you know, after he gains the power of the beyonder and Galacticus and everything, right. man, just, I love how they wove all of that stuff together. Now, of course, Everything's got to come to an end and we have issue number 12 and I'm happy that they were able to wrap it up. But to me, honestly, it felt a little bit fast. It felt a little bit contrived, but I guess they just needed to get out of the series. They couldn't let it go on forever. So what did you guys think about the ending to Marvel Superhero Secret Wars? I thought it was pretty good. I mean, it was it was I agree it was fast. It seemed like we had all this build up and then it gets resolved quickly and they all go back home. Um Except for the thing, of course, right. uh, which makes me interested. I'd like to, you know, track down those that I think it was a 13 issue series where about his time on Battleworld. I don't know if y'all have ever read that series, I haven't. but yeah, I've read a couple of those. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have, Jay? Yeah, I think it was, I want to say it was 20 issues or 23 issues oh, or something okay. like that. Okay. It was more than I thought, but yeah, I knew it wasn't a long series. Jay, what'd you think about the ending? Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of great artwork definitely there. Uh, and so, you know, how does the Beyonder finally uh, outdo and outpower Dr. Doom? He sneaks up on him and, and Dr. Doom is, has a moment of, uh, you know, he just kind of slips his mind and he's not thinking about it. And uh, the, the Beyonder somehow takes advantage of that and 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 gets them i don't know i mean it's it really i mean dr doom after all this time you've spent all your life to get this power and then you let your guard down and <laughs> i don't know right but it, it was good <laughs> but yeah you're right you got to end it but you know i think more than more than just that last issue i i think it's the implication for the entire series because you know without uh, secret wars you wouldn't have had secret wars 2 infinity war infinity gauntlet and you know dare say we may not even be looking at uh, you know avengers infinity war on the screen you know the theatrical film so i mean it really sure. i think it all right. sprung from that so i mean sure yeah I, I think it was maybe a little rush a little forced it's still a lot of great artwork in issue 12 but uh mm-hmm. i mean just a groundbreaking mm-hmm. series and without uh, without the series i don't think we'd have uh, the great stuff that we have today yeah i'll give you that and am i seeing things or is that a wall of water going up from the ocean to the sky like an illuminated fountain in reverse you're not seeing things jim that's just what it is aquaman this week on laser time the internet's seventh leading pop culture podcast the gang is tackling a brand new topic as of 1984 oh yes um what do you think uh what do you think Phil Phillips, Prince Gary, not Prince Gary, Pastor Gary, <laughs> are going to have a problem with E.T.? Is there anything you can guess off the top of your head? Oh, man. Um, cross-dressing. Well, it's against violence. Dare is totally cross-dressing. <laughs> <laughs> Adamantly <laughs> against cross-dressing. He, he saved that scorn for uh, someone else. Okay. but uh, E.T., the extraterrestrial. What, do you, what can we say about him? Well, E.T. smashed box office records in 1982 by doing $318 million. It was a camouflage occult movie, including uh, levitation, psychic healing, mind control, uh, mental telepathy. E.T. also included some inferences to homosexuality. What? 
Yes. No, it didn't. <laughs> no, it didn't. False. Let me see the part of your brain. That's and he doesn't go on to elaborate. Oh, I was gonna say, like, well, you just pause it, so go on. There are he doesn't. There is not a hint of any kind of sexuality in this entire film. Is it the mom's film. haircut? Uh, oh wait, no, he does kiss someone <laughs> while drunk. Jesus Christ, the eighties were weird. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> mom's haircut is a little gay. <laughs> I say this as having her haircut right now. <laughs> That's Laser Time. New every Monday on LaserTimePodcast.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us in Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever you like to listen. While in iTunes, take a second to rate and review the show. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us. They'll thank you later. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so email your thoughts, suggestions, questions, ideas, or complaints on this or any other past episodes to drawn at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Drawn and Paneled is more than a podcast. You can find our other content on the Gen X Grown Up YouTube channel or our website at genxgrownup.com. And that will wrap it up for this back issue edition of our Drawn and Paneled podcast. Jay, I want to thank you very much for being here today. And if you could, please tell everybody where they can find all of your wonderful creations. Well, certainly, George and Jason. And it's been a, my pleasure to be here with you today and talk about Secret Wars. It's been a lot of fun. So certainly, uh, you can get uh, our graphic novel, Astral Genesis on Amazon.com or eBay. You can also read a free 30-page preview on the Pet Piranha Entertainment website, and you can pick up a copy there as well. So certainly uh, get in there and check that out. It's uh, definitely worthwhile. It's a lot of fun. Jason, thank you so much for being here as well. Uh, You're welcome. I'm exhausted after talking about those 12 issues. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll let you go take a rest, and we will see all of you listeners next time. See you later. Take care. See you guys later. This podcast is an affiliate of the GWW Radio Network. Visit Geeks Worldwide at thegww.com for news, reviews, and opinions on video games, comics, TV, cosplay, and more. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today, wherever you get your podcasts.